Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. A really interesting video clip just kind of symbolizing what Palm Sunday is all about. If you're new to the church thing or the Jesus thing, you may think Palm Sunday, what does that mean? What, does, what is this all about? Well, I'll, I'll, we're going to explain it to you, so don't, don't worry. We're, we're going we're to tell you a little bit about what this is about. But, but here, here it is in a nutshell. Palm Sunday is a day that almost everyone highly anticipated, yet no one quite expected it. A day that is highly anticipated by everyone for years. People had looked forward to Palm Sunday in anticipation, but when it all went down, it was a day that they did not expect. Last year, my wife came up to me and said, uh, her parents, my in-laws, have offered to take all of the grandkids to Disney World. And I was like, oh boy, they are going to love that. When are they planning on taking them? And Elizabeth told me, they said, well, they're going to take them in December, but they want us to go along with them. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. I didn't have like a, a really good vision of what Disney was like. Like all I saw was crying kids and food that they don't eat and standing in lines and driving 12 hours to get there. I was like, none of that. Like, can we just watch a Disney movie? Like, does that count as going to Disney? Like, but my kids love, my two little girls love all the Disney princesses. And so I went because I didn't have a choice, but I went and uh, had a blast. But, but here's what I did. I, I decided to do a little research ahead of time. I wanted to get like an idea of what I was getting ready to get myself into. And so I went to the Disney website, and they had some video clips of kind of like what a park experience looks like. Let me, let me paint the picture for you. Let me paint these lies for you. They had a video, they had a video where there was a, a family, and they were having so much fun. I mean, they were, they were holding hands, running through the park, enjoying it. Mickey was there holding hands with them, big giant mouse hand, and and, and they, were, they would run up to the rides and, and, and go right in and sit down and have a great time. And, and they had the whole park to themselves, right? It was like a dream come true. And, and they all had smiles on their faces and they were eating good food together and had balloons and all this kind of stuff. And so I looked at that. I was like, okay, all right, I can deal with that. Like, if, that's, if that's what Disney World is, then like, I, I, think I, I think I can make it. And so uh, after, after a like a 12 or 15 hour bus ride that I would wish not on anyone happened. Uh, we finally get to, to Orlando and Disney, and, and I've, listen, I have never seen as many people in one place as I saw at Disney World. I mean, you had to wait in line for everything. You had to wait in line to get on the bus. You had to wait in line to get off the bus. You had to wait in line to get in the park. You had to wait in line to get on a ride. You had to wait in line to get food. You had to wait in line to use the bathroom. You had to wait in line to wait in line. Then you had to wait in line to get back to your place. And then when I got back to the place, I had to wait in line in our own hotel room for me to use the bathroom because I live with three girls. And I'm like, does the line ever stop? Like, what is, man, this is crazy. In the video, though, there were no lines. There were no other people. It was just this happy 
family. That is not what I expected. In fact, they, they have these rides. One ride in particular was uh, a ride, a Peter Pan ride, okay? So at Disney World, at the entrance to the ride, they have these little screens that will tell you how long you have to wait, like the current wait to get on the ride is this many minutes. Okay, so Peter Pan ride, one of the most popular rides. There was a moment in time where I walked by the Peter Pan ride, and up on the screen it said 180 minutes. Now for you non-math people, that's three hours, okay? I'm going to tell you something. If I'm going to wait three hours in line, like I better get to the front and Peter Pan himself better be riding on this ride with me. Like I better be sitting beside Peter Pan and he say, why don't we just like fly away instead of going on this ride? Like that's, like, that's a that's a long wait. There were no waits in the video, okay? There was no waits in line. They just ran right up to the line, smiling and laughing with Mickey Mouse. That's another thing. You know, Mickey Mouse is not just walking around. Like, he's at a specific place, and, and in order to see him, you have to have a reservation. He's a pretty popular guy. One morning, we had the opportunity to eat breakfast with Mickey Mouse, um, and the only reservation time that, that they had available, it's a pretty popular thing, undoubtedly, the only reservation time was 6.30 in the morning. Now see, here's the deal. My girls didn't even know 6 o'clock came twice a day, right? They were like, 6 in the morning? Is that, isn't that when we eat dinner? I'm like, no, it actually comes in the morning as well. So we get our kids up before 6 o'clock, which is not good, and we get them ready, and we go, and we, and we have breakfast with Mickey Mouse, and that was cool. And then another thing that we got to do is we got to eat dinner with Winnie the Pooh and Tigger, too. And so it, it was the same night, but undoubtedly that's really popular. And the only reservation time that we could get for dinner was at 7.45 p.m. Those two things happened on the same day. So if you were to ask me, Nathan, if you were going to make a disaster, what would the recipe be? Here's what I'll tell you. Take my two children, wake them up before 6 a.m. to have breakfast with Mickey Mouse at 6.30. Take them to Disney World and let them run ragged the whole day. Let them stand in line, be hot, be tired, the whole deal. And then make them wait until 7.45 at night to sit down and eat dinner with Winnie the Pooh and Tigger 2. Mix all of that together, and that would be a perfect recipe for disaster. And uh, that was pretty much how it turned out. I have never seen so many meltdowns in, in one place. I've never seen so many tears. I've never seen so many tantrums thrown. And, like, honestly, that's from the parents. Like, I'm not talking about kids. Like, I'm talking about, like, there's parents crying, and I want to go up to them and say, I know how you feel. Like, can we just leave this godforsaken place? Can we just... We just go, and it, it was just crazy. And, and another chance that we had was we got to eat lunch inside of Bell's Castle, okay? So if you've seen Beauty and the Beast, then we're going inside the castle, man. And, and we sit down and eat lunch. And if you've ever seen the movie, it's real fancy, like in, inside there, and real fancy food. Problem is, uh, three-year-olds don't eat fancy food. And I have a three-year-old. So we pull up this menu, and we're sitting down, and, and I notice something, that the two major food groups that families eat are not on here. There's two major food groups that kids eat, chicken nuggets and macaroni and cheese. Neither one of these things are on the menu. I start to panic. Turn to Elizabeth. I said, this is, in, now, in the video, they were having a good time eating raw carrots and celery and stuff, but 
this is reality, and, and my kids, like, they don't, like, we just ordered them something. They didn't eat any of it. Like, they just, here we are sitting in this castle with Belle and the Beast and, and not eating chicken nuggets and french fries, and, like, this place is supposed to be the most magical place on earth. And, like, at this point, I'm like, can I speak to Mickey? Like, can I, Mickey and I need to talk. Why are there no chicken nuggets on the most magical place on earth for kids? Like, what is the breakdown here? Um, hindsight, looking back, it was a great trip that I hope and pray I never have to do again, but it was great. It was great while it lasted, and, um, but, it, but it was not what I expected. Not, like, the, the, the anticipation ahead of time was one thing, but, but it was definitely not what I was expecting, and too many times in our life, that's how our lives play out, isn't it? We anticipate things, we, we have plans and dreams and desires for our life, but maybe you're here this morning and, and if, you, if you take a step back and you look at where you're at right now, this is not where you expect it to be. You, you had desires for your, your marriage, for your career, for your finances, for your relationship status, for, for just where you, where you lived and where you were at in your life. And some of you may be taking a step back and say, wow, this, like this day right here was a highly anticipated day, an age, a, an era of my life. But this is, wow, it, it did not quite work out like I expected it to. It hasn't really panned out the way that I, the way that I, that I dreamed it. Well, Palm Sunday uh, marks the day that Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And at the moment, no one knew what was going on, but Jesus is actually coming to Jerusalem to die on a cross. He is going to be crucified, but, 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 but no one knew that right now. This was not what the expected outcome was for most people attending the party. Today was a day of celebration. Everybody was going crazy, and the way that it gets his name, Palm Sunday, is because people were waving palm branches in the air. Now, palm branches were a universal symbol of celebration. Here's, here's really, here's the honest truth. The foam finger had not been invented yet, and so, like, instead of waving the foam finger around like you do at a basketball game, and my team's number one, and we're awesome, like, they had palm branches. Kind of lame, but they waved the palm branches instead. And so imagine just if you were in a setting where you were celebrating, where it was a, a big party, Jesus is rolling into town, and you're waving your, your foam finger, getting excited, anticipating something really incredible, really really looking forward to what Jesus is, is getting ready to do. Again, that's what everyone thought the party was about, but Jesus knew he was going into Jerusalem for a purpose. He knew that this would start the, the Passion Week, the, the week in which he would ultimately give his life up for the, for the salvation of, of others. But it began with this triumphal entry. But there are three groups of people that I want to look at today, three groups of people that I believe are, are in this room. Maybe you're one of them, maybe you're Two of them, maybe you're like me and you're all three of them at one point in your life. But three different people showed up to the first Palm Sunday to see Jesus, anticipating this day, been thinking about it and desiring. It's been talked about in the Old Testament for a long, long time. But when they showed up, it was not what they expected. If you'd ask them, is this how it's going to play out? Is, is this how it's all going to end with Jesus? This is not the story that they would have said. So I want to I look at these three groups today. And again, I, I see myself, unfortunately, I see myself in all three of these groups. And so I want to go through the people that were at the very first Palm Sunday, this Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And the, the first verse I want to look at is John chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, we'll do John chapter 12, or you can check it out on the screen. Here, 
here's how the story unfolds, and we meet the first group of people that were a part of it. John chapter 12, verse 12, reads like this. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. This crowd was anticipating Jesus showing up, but here was their expectation. Here's here's why the crowd showed up. You want to know why they're cheering? You want to know why they're going crazy? You want to know why they're waving the palm branches? It's this. They had one perspective. What's in it for me? The first group that we see is the crowd, and they showed up because they were convinced that Jesus coming means something good for me. And they wanted to see what's in it for me. Here's the background. Jerusalem is currently under the rule of a foreign government. The Romans are ruling them. That means another country, another government is telling them what to do, making them pay taxes. Their taxes go to another country, another, another set of rulers. They don't have freedom. They can't do what they want to do. They can't worship the way they want to worship. Like They're not living the life that they expected. They find themselves, maybe some of you find yourselves like this as well, saying, wow, I mean, here we are living in Jerusalem, but this is not what I expected. This is not the life that I wanted to live. Someone else constantly telling me what to do. So here's how they saw Jesus. They saw Jesus as a new king. They thought Jesus was going to come into Jerusalem and overthrow the Roman government. Now, Jesus was a Jew, so that means he was on their team. He's like, man, he's going to let us do what we want to do. We're going to be able to go where we want to go and worship who we want to worship. And, like, this is going to be so great. Have you heard about this man, Jesus? He, he's the guy that fed 5,000 people. I like just, just pull, kept pulling sandwiches out of his pocket. I don't know how it happened, but he felt like this is going to be a great king. He's going to take care of us. Have you heard about Jesus? He heals people that are sick. You know, we were trying to build that hospital. No need anymore. Like, our king heals people. Like, no need for medicine. Like This is going to be a great king. On top of that, he's a Jew, so he's on our team. Like Jesus is getting ready to make Jerusalem great again, man. It's going to be huge. <laughs> That's what they thought. So they showed up waving these palm branches saying, Here comes the new king. We're so excited. Blessed is the name of Jesus. But in their heart of hearts, they were thinking, I like this guy because he can do a lot for me. He can give me what I want. He's going to be able to deliver on the promise and the life that I've always desired. So when they thought Jesus was going to do what they expected him to do, They raised their hands. They put their foam fingers in the air and waved them like they just don't care. But a few verses later, when the crowd found out that Jesus was not going to overthrow the king, that he was not going to come in and make their life better, that Jesus was not their puppet, here's here's what reads in John chapter 19, verse 15. Same people that were just crying out, Hosanna, this is the man, we love Jesus. Now in John chapter 19, verse 15, say, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Jesus, what's in it for me? Because if if there's nothing in it for me, then get out. Go go die somewhere. Get this guy out. He he didn't give us what we wanted. And so Jesus, just just, kind of get off the scene. When they found out that Jesus was not willing to give them what they expected, and what they wanted, and that there was 
Nothing in it for them as far as politically being free and having a new king. They were willing to turn their back on him. Here's what our tendency is. Our tendency is to become so self-centered and so self-focused that we will work Jesus out of our lives if he doesn't give us exactly what we want when we want it. That even though God has a plan and a purpose for our life and a, a freedom and a life that we've always wanted, unless there's something in it for me, then I'm not interested in Jesus. When people hear that a life with Jesus involves sacrifice or it involves putting others in front of yourself or it involves not, not doing things sometimes that you want to do but following Jesus instead and this selfless life, people say, whoa, that, that sounds like sacrifice. That doesn't sound like there's something in it for me. And when they find out that, that Jesus can't make their life any better in their minds, that he can't give them more money or make them have less problems or just make their life easier, then we switch that attitude of what can you do for me and we end up turning our backs on Jesus. It's exactly what the crowd did. They were so consumed with what they wanted that they couldn't even see the big picture of what God wanted to do in their life. And unfortunately, more than I'd like to admit, in my relationship with God, I've looked at God and said, what's in it for me? What you gonna do for me today? What are you going to give me? How are you going to bless me? What are you going to do in return and, and, and for my favor? It's just the way the crowd responded. The second group of people were the disciples. Not only do we have the crowd, but we also have the disciples, these 12 men that were following Jesus from day one of his ministry. Verse 16 reads like this. His disciples did not understand these things at first. Why is Jesus riding into the city on a donkey? Why is he talking about his life is going to end in crucifixion? Why? This is, this is not what we thought. But when Jesus was glorified, after he died and was resurrected, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Here's what the disciples thought. The disciples that were a part of Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem said this, Jesus, I don't trust you. The crowd said, Jesus, what can you do for me? And the disciples said, Jesus, I don't trust you. For the very first time in their ministry, Jesus was a big deal, right? I mean, these disciples had been waiting for this moment, for where Jesus would be embraced by the masses. Everyone would get excited about him. Everyone would start chanting his name. Everyone would want him to be the king. Because let's face it, when you're best friends with the king, you're getting ready to get hooked up. Like Your life is going to get ready to get really great. Like When your friend, your close buddy gets a lot of money or gets a lot of power like it's good to be friends with that person and these disciples were, were convinced Jesus is getting they want this guy to become king and I'm going to be like the vice king or whatever I'm going to cabinet or like at least my face may be on a coin or something I don't know what this looks like but this is this is great I'm Jesus embrace it like Jesus Jesus go for it until they found out that Jesus had a different plan See, Jesus was not riding into Jerusalem on a chariot, embracing the hugs and cheers of many people to make him king. He didn't have on his radar to become the king and to overthrow the government. He came here to die. And actually, Jesus had been telling his disciples that for a long time. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, it reads like this. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. That day is today. And suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and experts in the law, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. 
Check out what Peter did. Great friend here. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. God forbid, Lord, this must not happen to you. Here's what happened to Peter, and here's what happens to you and I. Our lack of trust in God's plan causes us to take control away from God and take control in our own lives. Our lack of control, like when God unfolds his plan in our life and we don't like it, what happens? We scrap his plan and we don't trust him. Here's what Peter did. Jesus started talking about, one day I'm going to roll into Jerusalem and it's not going to be to overthrow the king. It's it's not going to be to put the, the crown on my head. It's going to be to give my life. It's going to be to put my life out on the line, to to be crucified on the cross so that you and everyone else can have forgiveness of their sins and enjoy eternity in heaven forever. And Peter didn't like that idea. (laughs) In fact, Scripture says Peter kind of pulled Jesus aside and said, Jesus, man, let let me talk to you a second, man. I noticed you've been talking this death stuff lately. That's not cool, man. Nobody wants to talk about that. Man, we're riding high. You're a popular guy. I could... I could be, I'm Peter, man. I could be the vice king. You know, just, just do, i tell you what, I've got a plan. I don't trust your plan, man. That sounds like you're going to die, and I'm probably going to die too. I don't trust, I don't like that plan. I don't trust you. Let me do it. And here's what happens in my life, and maybe you can relate to this. Sometimes God unfolds his plan for my life and a, a purpose and a calling, and I look at that plan and like, uh-uh. Now that, doesn't, that seems like hard. That seems like I'm going to have to give something up. That seems like the long way. Jesus, let me pull this plan out. I've been working on this. I'm glad you asked about it. Let me show you my plan for my life. It involves lots of money and lots of power and lots of good times and everything that I want. Why don't you bless this plan? Why don't we get behind this? I'll let you take the credit for it as long as you make it happen. Get behind my plan. I just, I don't trust your plan. I know you've got a plan, Jesus. A for effort for bringing it to the table. But I don't like it. And I don't trust that your plan is going to get me to where I want to be. And so the disciples were walking into Jerusalem, and everybody's going crazy. And they're scratching their heads like, why can't it be like this? Why can't we embrace this life? This is good, right? Every, everybody wants this. And so they begin to, to lose trust in the plan that Jesus had for them. So Jesus came to save the world of its sins, came to give his life, but the disciples coming up, no, 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 that's not a good plan. I don't like that plan. I don't want to do that plan. I don't trust you. Why don't we do my plan? Too many times in my life I've looked at God and said, I don't really like that plan. I think I want to do mine. I think I got a bigger plan. I got a better plan. I've got an easier plan plan. I've got a plan that that ends a lot better than death on a cross. Third group of people that came into this day with a certain set of anticipation, but were dealt a hand that they did not expect were the religious people. We got the crowd, we got the disciples, and finally we have the religious leaders. John chapter 12, verse 19, they see everyone going crazy, everyone loving Jesus. Verse 19, this is how they respond. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Everybody loves Jesus now. We don't have anybody. Nobody loves us anymore. Nobody wants to be around us. Nobody wants to be our friend. Here's here's the perspective that the religious leaders had. I want to be in control. I want to be in control. 
The crowd said, what's in it for me? The disciples said, Jesus, I don't trust you. The religious people said, Jesus, I want to be in control. Here's how the system worked. These religious people were manipulating the common folks. They said, hey, if you want God to forgive your sins, you're going to need to give me a little money. If you want to be close to God, you're going to have to jump through these religious hoops. Hey, you want to go to heaven, right? Well, you better be close friends with me because I'm your direct line. Like, I'm the middleman. And so these, these religious leaders, they, they would manipulate people. They would make them do things to try to earn God's love and have some sort of freedom. And Jesus came preaching a different message. He said, you don't need a middleman anymore. You don't have to pay for your sins. You don't have to be relying on some earthly priest to get to the Father. Jesus was getting ready to blow that up. But here's the problem. The religious people knew our scheme is gone. If Jesus succeeds, we have no job, we have no money, we have no power. There's nothing in it for us. And so these religious people decided that they would do whatever it takes to stop Jesus. Whatever it takes so that we don't have to lose control. One of the hardest things in our life sometimes in our relationship with Jesus is the very act of surrender. Because when you surrender, you say, all right, God, my life, my time, my energy, resources, my focus, everything that I have, I surrender it to you. You are in control. But many times we don't want to do that. We don't want to give God control. Because what if God takes a turn that I don't want to take? What if God calls me to do something that I don't want to do? I don't have a say in it anymore. Like, I can't run my life. I, I have to submit and, and, and respect the authority of Jesus if I'm a follower of Jesus. That doesn't sound fun. That doesn't sound like me being able to call the shots anymore. And the religious people, this is where they were at. And I'm afraid to admit that there have been times in my life where I looked at God and said, you know what, why don't I take this one? Why don't, I, why don't I drive the ship a while? Why don't I be in control? Why don't, why don't I set the boundaries? and Why don't I decide what we're going to do next? I want to be in control. The problem with Jesus is he shows up and says, submit it all to me. Let, let me show you the plan and the purpose that I have for your life. Let me show you what it's all about. And the religious people, they, they hated that idea. Jesus was getting ready to blow up everything that they had worked so hard for. And so they said, we're not going to allow that to happen. Three groups of people that experienced Jesus coming into a city and three groups of people that responded very differently. They were anticipating it for a very long time, but it is absolutely not what they expected. So which one are you? You ever find yourself like the crowd saying, what's in it for me? Jesus, what can you do for me? How can you make my life easier? Maybe you're like the disciples saying, Jesus, I, like, listen, I've read this. I see your plan. I know your plan. I think I've got a better plan. And so I don't trust your plan. I trust my plan. Or maybe you're like the religious leaders. Or you say, well, yeah, but Jesus, if I follow you, that means I can't be in control anymore. That means you're in control. That means you call the shots. That means I have to submit to you in my life, and I'm just not interested in that. What if you make a turn I don't want to do? What if you say or call me to do something that I'm not interested in? And because we're so tightly grasped on control, we end up turning our backs away from Jesus. So what about you? Which one are you? Because I want to tell you this morning, Jesus is still in the business of making entries into people's lives. This morning, Jesus can 
make an entrance into your life. He can make an entrance into your marriage. He can make an entrance into your career, into your relationships. Jesus even wants to make an entrance into your problems, into your baggage, into your frustrations, to the very things that keep you up at night, to your worries, to your pains. Just like Jesus entered into Jerusalem, he wants to do that into your life and into your situation this morning. If you'd allow him to do that, I can make you two promises. Two things are actually going to happen. When Jesus enters your situation, it creates a disruption. It creates an interruption. And can I just be honest with you? I know a lot of people that need a divine interruption in their life. Like they, they need God to hit the pause button so that we can refocus and recalibrate. They need God to to stop the mundane, ordinary, routine, everyday aspects of life. Because when, when God stops that, we begin to see his plan and his purpose for us. We begin to see how our life can easily run into a dead end, but with Jesus we've got a future. We've got a hope. We've got freedom. I wonder if you would be open to a divine interruption this morning. Just like Jesus disrupted life in the city of Jerusalem when he rolled in on that very first Palm Sunday. Second thing I know is this, divine disruptions will help you have proper perspective. That's what all three of these people in the story needed. They needed a new perspective. They needed to know why Jesus was there. They needed to know what his death and resurrection would allow them to experience. Because until their perspective changed, they were so small-minded. They were so focused on themselves. They were so focused on their plan and their objective that they weren't even willing to allow God to use a powerful display like a man named Jesus riding into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. They would face many hardships and trials. They would ultimately give his life to be crucified on the cross for you and me, for our salvation. But they were so consumed with what they wanted in their life that they totally missed the Savior that was standing right in front of them. We need a perspective change that often comes with a divine disruption. Here's the bad news. Jesus does not make forced entries. Jesus does not go into people's lives and kick the door down. Jesus will not twist your arm and say, you better let me change your life. You better let me give you freedom. You better let me make your life better. He doesn't do that. Here's what he did. He gave us an invitation. Puts the gift out on the table. Says, your choice. You can choose. You can choose to to hand your life over and substitute your good for God's best. Or you can do like many people in the crowd did. Some cheered, some embraced Jesus, some just stood there not really knowing what this guy was all about, and some ultimately turned their backs and walked away. Jesus won't force an entry into your life, but I want you to know this morning that the invitation is open. The gift has been given, and all you and I have to do is receive it. And with one divine interruption this morning, God can change your perspective and ultimately change your life. Are you open to an interruption like that? Are you open to your perspective being changed about Jesus and church and Palm Sunday and Christians and the Bible and the whole deal? Because God can change your life today with one simple entry 
on a day where we celebrate Jesus entering into Jerusalem to give his life for you and for me.